Good morning. All right, if you are following along in your bulletin, I am not Mark Lett. Okay, uh, the Letts have had an exposure to COVID and uh, they're, they're all doing okay, but uh, just to be on the safe side, they are quarantining. And so uh, you get me today and uh, just to warn you, I'm not as prepared as usual and uh, you might want to take a bathroom break now because... <laughs> I always go along when I'm not as prepared. <laughs> I'm going to try my best to be succinct, though. So um, the last time I, I uh, gave the message a couple weeks ago, we talked about the wise men who came and worshipped Jesus. And so what I wanted to do this morning is talk a little bit more about worship. And um, in order to do that, we're going to look at Psalm 63. And so if you have a Bible, if you, want to, if you have your Bible on your phone, I encourage you to open it up on there because it's not printed in your bulletin. If you want to go out in the foyer and get a Bible and bring it back in here, I encourage you to. I'd rather you be looking at the text rather than uh, just listening to what I'm saying and making reference to the text. So, uh, um, Because that's where you're going to be challenged and changed is by actually looking at and thinking about God's word first and foremost. So um, I'm going to read from Psalm 63. It's going to be up on the screen. Listen to God's word as I read. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us as we look at this psalm, as we think about it. We pray that your spirit would take the truth of your word and would drive it deeply into our hearts. As we come to the end of one year, as we look towards the next, Father, as we think about your calling upon each and every one of us, the primary calling you make upon us, that we would be people who worship you. Help us think about how we can grow as those who worship you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what are some common things that people tend to obsess about, to be obsessed with? You know, I was thinking about this. You know, what, what are some things that people, like, often there's, there's people who are obsessed with sports teams, right? That's all they, whenever you're talking with them, that's all they talk about. They're often, you know, wearing their favorite jersey or whatever, thinking about if their team's going to win or lose. They, you know, the sports teams are common obsessions. Um, for younger people, you know, comic books maybe or video games or a certain video game. 
um, or like anime, certain TV shows or movies or things like that. Um, for some people, it's maybe clothes. You know, some people are obsessed with shoes. You know, can I buy another pair of shoes this Christmas? Um, I don't know. Is there anything else that comes to mind? What, what are some things that people tend to be obsessed about? Anybody think of anything that I'm not thinking of? I'm sure there's tons of things. Yes? Where we can get our free next meal? What are we having for dinner tonight? That's, a, that's absolutely true. Yeah, we are often, I'm often talking about what I'm having for dinner when I'm, while I'm eating lunch. That's true. There's all sorts of things that we tend to be obsessed about, right? Um, obsessions are generally, for the most part, they're not looked upon as things that are good. You know, some, sometimes they maybe are, but often people uh, would say that uh, it's, it's not a good thing to be so obsessed with something, so consumed with something that your, your life is dictated by that thing, that your, your mental health, your emotional health is dictated by it. You know, your choices are controlled by that thing. It's not necessarily a good thing to be obsessed with something or to have your sense of identity to be determined by that thing. For the most part, people would say that. But, you know, the Bible, and I would say this particular psalm, says that there is one legitimate obsession. There's one legitimate obsession, one obsession that we should have. And that, that obsession is God himself. That we, we should be so consumed by who he is, that we would be so preoccupied by him, that our relationship with him, our interaction with him would dictate everything about us, Right? Our entire sense of identity, how we feel on a particular, at a particular moment, the things that we choose to do. Um, the, the, I think this psalm, that's what this psalm is, is a reflection of. It's, a, it's, it's of a guy, David, wrote the psalm, a guy who is obsessed with God, isn't it? He's, he's a person who is obsessed with God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And we, he talks about God, about how God's love is better than life, right? David is obsessed with God. And that's really what worship is. That's what worship is. It's to be obsessed with God. It's to be obsessed with him. It's to proclaim that we believe that he is the one thing that we need. The one thing that will give us meaning and a sense of joy and peace. The only thing. That is who God is. That is what worship is. It's to declare by, by all of our words, all of our thoughts, all of our emotions, all of our actions, everything. To declare that he is the ultimate reality. The one that we were made for. The one that we were made to know. The one that we were made to love. This is what God himself proclaims to be, the one true source of joy and happiness, the one true source of life and fulfillment. As David says here, his love is better than life. To have an ex a relationship with God and to experience his love is to experience the one ultimate reality of all the universe. There's nothing better than that. Nothing. Nothing. He is the only one who, is, who will satisfy our souls. And it's not just kind of like an, an I've you know, been eating all day and I'm full, but it's, it's like I, I, I've had the most satisfying meal I've ever had and I can't stop talking about it. That kind of satisfaction, you know? 
So if this is who God proclaims himself to be, and, and if he calls us to be obsessed with him, to be preoccupied with him, how should this impact how we worship him? How should this impact how we worship him? And so as we look at this psalm, what I want to do is look at three things that worship is not and one thing that worship is, okay? So three things that worship isn't and one thing that worship is. So number one, um, it shows us that worship is not reserved. It's not reserved. The first verse of the psalm shows us a man that is desperate for God, right? He's desperate for him. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. My flesh faints for you. He, David's like, I cannot survive without you, God. He's not just thinking to himself, gee, it'd be nice to encounter God right now. I wouldn't mind just getting a little bit of, you know, more of God. No, he wants all of God and he knows he needs it. He's desperate for him. It uh, snowed a couple nights ago, right before, was it on Christmas Eve or no? The night before Christmas Eve it snowed? There was a little snow on the ground. It was all, the ground was all covered. We woke up and so we looked out the window. It was like, oh man, look at that, it snowed. The kids were all excited, it snowed. We're like, oh yeah, maybe we'll go out later and play in it. I don't know, we'll see. And, uh, you know, it, it all melted. But there was, there's still a little bit of snow out there. But most of us, you know, we look out the window, we're like, yeah, maybe we'll get to it when we get to it. I don't know. Snow's fun. It'll probably snow a bunch more this winter, right? Um, we were watching, uh, what the movie, Home Alone, a couple weeks ago with our kids. I don't know how many of you guys have seen Home Alone, but, you know, it's about this poor kid, Kevin, who's left home by his family for Christmas, all by himself, accidentally. And then there's these robbers who are trying to get into his house. And then, you know, at the climax of the movie, the robbers are, are trying to get in, and, and Kevin knows they're trying to get in, and so he's like, put all these traps all over the house, right, to keep them out. And, and these guys get punished, you know, they, they, they just get beaten over and over again, mercilessly, by all of Kevin's traps. But there's this one point when the guy played by Joe Pesci, he, he like opens the back door or something like that, and Kevin has set up like a blowtorch to like, you know, with the, with the door opening, the blowtorch is set off and like engulfs his head with flames, you know? And so his little, you know, knit beanie erupts in fire and his hair and you know his head is is on fire and immediately he realizes that he's on fire and he runs out the door and what does he do he doesn't care about anything else all he wants to do is plunge his head into the snow he finds the snow as quickly as he can and he plunges his head in there he doesn't care about anything else he's desperate for it and that's kind of the the attitude that we should have towards the presence of god towards the worshiping god you know, it's not something that, you know, it's nice that we get to when we get to it. But it's something that we desperately need. That, that we, all, all I want to do is plunge myself head first into the grace of God. Because that is the only thing that's going to satisfy me. That is the only thing that's going to satisfy me. Secondly, worship is not reserved. Secondly, worship is not restricted. Okay? It's not restricted to any one or two aspects of my person. Let me explain it this way. God has made us whole beings. There's all sorts of different facets to who we are as humans, as people, right? We, we think, we have thoughts, we, we, we have, there's a mental aspect to us, there's an emotional aspect to us, we have feelings, right? We, there's, there's a volitional, a will. We all have uh, the ability to choose to do things and not to do things, you know? Um, we're, we're made physical people, right? We have physical bodies. 
All of these things make up who we are. And, and we are made by God, all of us. Every single part of us is good. And every single part of us, when, when it comes to worshiping God, God calls us to worship him with every part of who we are. Not just one piece or another piece. Okay? Um, there, there are, in, in our tradition, as, as Presbyterians, in our tradition, um, we tend to worship God primarily with our minds. You know? As long as we're thinking really great thoughts about God, we think that we're worshiping him well. There are other traditions where it's like the, the main focus is on feelings, on how I feel. You know, if I come to worship God and, and I, I like have this like really big high and I feel really moved or I cry, then I feel like I've worshiped. Okay? But the reality is, is that God demands that we respond to him with every single part of ourselves. And that's what you see here in the psalm. That's what you see here in this psalm. If you, if you look at verses 2 to 8, right? I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. God, he, he, is, he has beheld the glory of God. And, and his, his worship, David's worship is, is about like his meditating on who God is. His thoughts, right? Um, in verse 6, he says, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So his thoughts are filled with, with the greatness of God, with what he's seen about who God is. So his thoughts are full of God. But that's not all he worships God with. He also worships God with his emotions. His, he feels deeply about God, right? He says in verse 7, For you have been my help, and in the shout of your wings I will sing for joy. He's not afraid to sing for joy about who God is and what he has done. He feels deeply about his relationship with God and about who God is, right? So his feelings are involved. His will is involved. You know, he chooses in verse eight, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. In the midst of his struggles, he decides I'm gonna cling to you, God. I'm gonna trust you in the midst of this, okay? And guess what? He also worships God with his body, right? He says in verse four, so I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will lift up my hands. Okay? Um, this makes a lot of us uncomfortable. You know, a lot of us Presbyterians, you know. Um, when you see somebody lifting up their hands in worship, you know, you guys maybe notice that I, you know, put my hands up sometimes in worship. There are others who do. And uh, I'll just tell you right now, that's, that's actually a choice for me. It's not because I'm so into it and I feel so moved that I've got to put my hands in the air. I put my hands in the air because... I believe that what God's word tells us is that we need to use all of ourselves to worship him. And that includes my posture and what I do with my body. Um, like, as you, as you for, for those who are parents and raise kids, you know, I, I think there may be moments when your kids maybe have a certain posture towards you and you're like, that's not acceptable. Because you know that their posture is connected to, to what they're thinking and how they feel. You know, it's, it's all of that mixed together. All of these things, what I'm trying to say is all of these things are connected. We are made whole people. Our physical body is connected to, to what we think and how we feel. What we think is connected to how we feel and what we choose, you know? And this is what worship should be. Worship should not be restricted to one part of me or another. Worship should include all of me. All of me, just like it includes all of David. Thirdly, our worship should not be removed. Our worship should not be removed. It should not be removed from real life. That's what I want to say. Okay? Um, worship should not be an opportunity to escape 
from the rest of what's going on in my life. And I think sometimes that's a lot of, a lot of us kind of treat maybe worship that way. When we come to church on Sunday, you know, it's an opportunity to get away from, from what's weighing me down. Um, I think I can be an expert at escaping things. Um, I, the, the, just the way that I'm, I'm an introvert, you know, I like peace and quiet. Um, you know, when, when art comes over, we, most of us know art here, when art comes over to our house sometimes and our older boys are home, it's just absolute chaos. And Art always loves to make the joke about how he's like, okay, let's see how long it is before Mr. Jeff goes, I'm going to bed. Because eventually I'm just like, I'm going to bed. I got to escape this. This is too much. There's too much noise, too much chaos, too much craziness, too, ma- too many shenanigans going on. I'm going to bed, you know. And I think some of us maybe treat worship that way. Like there's too much going on in my life. And so maybe... Coming to church is an opportunity to be like, oh, I can forget about all that junk. But the reality is what God wants from us with our worship is, is he wants us to engage him in the midst of all of that stuff. Our worship of God is absolutely relevant for everything else that's going on in our lives, especially the painful things, especially the things that, that we're confused about, especially the doubt and the uncertainty and the frustration and the anxiety. God calls us to worship him in the midst of that. To think about how the greatness of God is relevant for that stuff. That is what worship should be about. And that's what worship is about for David, I would, I would argue. Um, at the very beginning of the psalm, the introduction to the psalm, we didn't read it. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. What's likely happening here is is David wrote this when he was on the run from his son, Absalom, who had taken over the city of Jerusalem, who had kind of installed himself as king, and David was thrown out. I mean, that's a pretty awful circumstance for David at that point, right? But what does he do in the midst of that circumstance? He turns to God, and he says, my soul clings to you in the midst of this pain in the midst of this betrayal, you know? You are the one who will satisfy me in the midst of this. You are the one who will sustain me in the midst of this. Your glory, your love, your steadfast love is what will sustain me. And so our worship shouldn't be removed from our daily life, our worship. Actually, um, when we think about worship, some of us maybe only think of Sunday mornings. Really, worship should should, should be happening every day of our lives in the midst of all of the, everything else that's going on. All of it is, is the context for worship, for recognizing that God is my only help, hope and that he is my only help and that he is the only one who will enable me to make sense of what's going on. All right, so these, these three things are what worship is not. It, it's, it's not uh, reserved, it's not restricted, it's not removed. But what, what is the one thing that this, this passage says that worship is? I mean, it says that worship is a lot of things, but one thing I want to highlight is this. Worship is a preoccupation with the triumph of God. Worship is to be preoccupied with the triumph of God, with the victory of God. If you look at verses 9 to 11, this is where David lands here at the end of his psalm as he's thinking about worshiping God, God, as he's longing for God, as he chooses to cling to God. 
He says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The place where David comes to at the end is he's thinking about the greatness of God, or the power of God, the love of God, how God cares for him. He's confident that God is going to be victorious. He's confident that, that he is going to be victorious because God is his God. And God will triumph. He's confident in God's help. He's confident in God's provision. He's confident in God's protection. He's confident that God will fight for him and will win. All right? But I think it's, it's really key also to notice this. In verse 11, verse 11 as David comes to this place, we're realizing that, that God is going to be victorious. He then finishes saying, but the king shall rejoice in God. Who is he talking about there? I mean, David is the rightful king, but now he's wondering, well, is he king? His son has proclaimed himself king. So he, 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 he refers to the king in the third person. I think, he's, I think he may be talking about himself here, that he's going to rejoice in God. But I think the choice of words is interesting, and I think by the providence of God, I think what those, those words do even if David might not have even totally realized it, is that, that those, those words point to a greater king that would come. A greater David that would come. A king who is a perfect worshiper. A king who is not reserved, who is, is, whose, whose worship of God isn't restricted to just one part of his life. This, this verse, I think, as much as anything, can, can absolutely apply to King Jesus. The one who, more than anyone else, longed for the presence of God, enjoyed the presence of God, was satisfied with the presence of God, and the one who has won the greatest victory. To worship God is to be obsessed with the victory of God, namely the victory of God's King, Jesus. To know that Jesus' victory is actually my victory. To know that I cannot lose because Jesus has won. Right? The king shall rejoice in God. That reminds me of that verse in Hebrews 12 where it talks about Jesus. For, but, the, but for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He laid down his life. Giving it up on the cross for you and for me. That is what worship is about. Worship is about being preoccupied with Jesus and what he has done how he's lived for me, how he has died for me, how he has risen for me, how he has triumphed for me. And because of his triumph, I can know that God is with me, that he is on my side, that he is my help, that he is my provision. And so, I challenge us all to reflect upon your worship of God. As we end 2021, as we look towards the coming year, I encourage you to think, think about your worship. Do you, are you worshiping God as you should? Is, is Sunday morning a priority for you? Is it a priority for you to spend every day taking time to worship him? To worship him, not just with your mind, but with your, your emotions, with your body, with, with your will, with what you choose to do that day. And I would challenge you are, you, are you preoccupied? Are you preoccupying yourself with Jesus? The one king 
who will not let us down, the one king who is full of joy, who gives us access to the joy of God. I pray that we would look upon Jesus, the high king of heaven, that we would worship him for all that he has shown himself to be, that he is the wellspring of life, that he is the priceless treasure that outweighs all earthly wealth, that he is the source of hope, that he is the source of wisdom, that he is true, the source of true, deep satisfaction for the desires of our hearts, that he is the victor over sin and all of the brokenness that we experience, that we are experiencing today, that we've experienced in the past, that we will experience in the future. And he is the champion of God's love for you. He is the champion of God's love for you of his intense and joyful love. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us uh, today. Help us not to settle for living lives in relationship to you that are half-hearted. Help us not to settle for a worship of you that is kind of where we're just playing at it. But Father, we pray that you would help us to fling all of ourselves into worship, to declare your greatness, to be obsessed with your perfect wisdom and power and glory with the perfection of your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that that you would use us to that end, to, to... to spread more and more worship in the lives of the people that we know in this world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to take some time to worship Jesus by partaking of the Lord's Supper. I don't think we had greeters today, so it's possible some of you guys didn't get the elements. If, if you didn't get the elements, if you want to raise your hand, and hopefully somebody, Steve, would you mind going out there? Did anybody not get them? Over here, we do need somebody. Thank you, Steve. If you didn't get them, just raise your hand high, and uh, he'll get it to you. As we prepare to meet Jesus at the Lord's table, let's confess our failure to live for God as we should, to love him as we should, to worship him as we should with the prayer of confession that's printed in your order of worship. We'll pray that out loud together and then we'll have a silent time of confession. So please pray with me. Oh Lord, we want to enter your presence, worshiping you face to face, awed by your majesty, greatness, and glory, but encouraged and ravished by your love. Yet there is a coldness in our hearts a hardness toward you, an unwillingness to admit our sin and need for you. But now forgive us for Jesus' sake. Come near and strengthen us until Christ shall reign supreme within us in every thought, word, and deed, in a faith that purifies the heart, overcomes the world, works by love, fastens us to you, and always clings to the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we now take a moment in the silence to privately confess our individual sin to you.